Welcome team, and you know when I say team, I want to treat you like I would any athlete or any person, and that's to expose you with people who are at the top of their game, no matter what game that is. Today I am so excited, I'm sitting here with the Executive Chairman of Pertec USA, Glenn Duncan. Now Glenn, I'll do more of an intro on you here, but first of all, thanks mate, you're just in the country for a short time. Um, I noticed you've turned up to the opening of the West Sydney Wanderers, which you're also a part owner of the club. Um, our friendship dates back. We first met at the great Parramatta Eels back in the day when you were a major sponsor of the Eels. And, and I'm, mate, I'm really privileged to call you a friend, uh, a mentor at times, many times, and now part of the podcast team. So uh, thanks very much for your time sitting in these beautiful Pertec offices in the headquarters in Sydney, but you're now in the USA, right? Where are we in the USA? Um, firstly, you know, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming in here and uh, putting this on me. Um, <laughs> I'm only here for a short time and you've walked into the uh, into the offices here at, uh, at Kings Park and said, Glenn, um, I need to have a chat, so... <laughs> And we're going to record it. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to record it. So, thanks, um, thanks everyone for having me on here and to the uh, to your podcast team. Um, yeah, in the in the US, I'm I've been there for three years um, in establishing Pertec in the USA. It was there for eighteen years prior to me arriving, um, and in that eighteen years, it was owned by. Um, a consortium of people and that consortium um, tried to develop Pertec under a master licence for 18 years. Um, from our point of view, we felt we could do something with the USA. Um, it's absolutely blue sky over there and, um, you know, just the, the market, the population and the challenge and the excitement of being able to develop something and really turn it into something that we can be proud of. And we're based out of Florida. So yeah, let's go back a bit. You said it's been operating for 18 years. Pertec itself is 30, how many years old? Uh, it'll be 40 years, 2020. 40 years in 2020. Yep, yep. And let's make this clear, the Duncan family are the owners. So you're executive chairman of Pertec USA, but your father is the founder and owner. Um, Correct. Could could we maybe even go back 40 years and talk about how it actually started and then and then share with us how big it is now? I mean, I, I'm very aware of how big it is in Australia, but, but obviously worldwide. But can we just go back to your father, Peter, and how he started it? Sure. We've, um, as, as a Duncan family, um, we were very fortunate that Peter's father, my grandfather, um, owned his own businesses and he was a self-taught man, um, left school very early uh, in the piece, I think it was about 13, 14 years of age yeah. and became a automotive engineer and he was a leader in his field. Um, so I think the pedigree, if you want to talk about pedigrees and yeah. um, the pedigree, uh, my father worked for his father for, for over you know, 25, 30 years, then he wanted to do something on his own. Right. Um, and <clears throat> he left New Zealand back in December 79 and started uh, Pertec in 1980 here in South Street, Rydalmere. Right. And the, 
the thing about that with our business in the hydraulic hose, um, industrial hose industry, it was being the first of doing things. So when we arrived in Sydney, to get a hydraulic hose made, it could take two or three days. So Peter started a business service while you wait. Yeah. So you wait 20 minutes, we'll make the hose right there and then. You have a coffee, you have an orange juice, you thank the customer for you know um, coming into your store. Um, and then the reputation of, wow, this these hoses can be made a lot quicker than yeah. what was currently being done. So that was one... One little warehouse in Rydalmere. Yes, now, 58 South Street, Rydalmere. Now, is it true, I think we've spoke about this before, he sold the family home and took a risk. You guys lived in New Zealand, you were sure. born in New Zealand. Yep. And he sold the family home and took a punt and said, we're going to Australia. Correct. With all he had in his pocket was whatever you made from the house sale mm-hmm. and you put it all on the line. Yeah. Peter put it all on the line, took a risk. Yes. One little warehouse in Rydalmere. Now, is there over 100 franchises now in Australia? Uh, there's 92 franchise locations 92 in Australia franchises. and over 350 mobile service vans. And we're now sitting in some very, very nice office at the headquarters. How big is this place we're sitting in now? This is... So here we have um, nearly 10,000 square metres of warehouse yep. and 2,000 square metres of office. How big was the one in Rydalmere? <laughs> oh, Rydalmere was probably 2,500 square metres right. in total. Yeah. yeah, this is enormous. It's yeah. such a... And the first impression when you walk in here, like I've just come in here 5.30 of an, at night, it's the end of the day, and there's cleaners cleaning the logo at the reception desk and i've been told this happens every day so every day that reception downstairs the first impression is this place cares about its attention to detail is this this has obviously started with your father it must do because it's just filtered all the way through that now the cleaner takes so much pride in the tiniest detail yeah, and again, I think it's the culture, the culture of our family and, and yeah. Peter's father. He was very a, a very, very detailed man, and I think all of those things rub off, and presentation is very, very important to us. Um, you know, the cleaning and the, the upkeep of this um, premises, it's nearly, I think we're probably close to 14 or 15 years old yeah. in this premises, yeah. and people walk in today saying, when did you move in? Yeah, and, it, well, it and is, and that's like what that. we—that's yeah. what we, you know, have pride in, um, because you've got to create an environment for your workforce that it's—they love coming to work, you know. Yeah. Um, the workplace is so neat, clean, and tidy, and organised. They feel proud of that when they come to work. So you can feel that. You can feel that as soon as you walk in. And there's a bit of a story I've heard of your father who. Um, he saw a weed in the garden and he put it on the CEO's desk and yep. said... And his favourite saying is, if I can see it, you can see it. Yeah. so That's exactly right. The CEO then had to get onto the landscapers and just let them know they f- that the big boss found one weed. But that's attention to detail. Like, I've spoke to your father before. He talks about the little things. They're not little things, are they? Like, it's the same in sport that... 
the little things that we kind of talk about they're actually massive things and you can feel that as soon as you walk in this building you can feel that when you talk to the staff the other thing i've heard him talk about the ceo here in sydney stephen dutton as like almost a second son like he's part of the family mm-hmm. he used the word family that gets used or thrown around sometimes sometimes it's overused word in sport people say it but don't genuinely live it i get the vibe that he really lives it because you've got staff that have worked here 20 30 years and don't want to leave am i fair to say he treats you all like a family well obviously you you're his son um (laughs) well sometimes you get as a son you get treated a little little (laughs) bit harder Uh, you know the the pressure's on you a little bit more but um no it's the it's the family environment and you know i i did listen to one of your podcasts where you did i think it was the f-bomb yes you were were talking about the f-bomb and um you know family is important um because everyone has a family at home but coming to work, work is an extension of your family. And if you can keep that environment happening, happening um, you, you create just a, uh, a very successful and proud workplace and workforce. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about the, the little things. I was walking through the warehouse with, uh, with a manager uh, yesterday and there was a piece of paper on the warehouse floor. He picked it up. Because he saw it first, you yeah. know, and that's those are the things. So if if a staff member needs a hand, or you know, someone's not not doing too well, everyone will pitch in and help, or you know, lend a, a shoulder to cry on, so to speak. Yeah, and you've got each other's back. You can feel that. And I mean, I have never really told you this, but you've treated me like that for a long time since since we met. Um, we. There's been times where you've actually grabbed me and said, I've got your back. Like, what do you need? Like, what about the time we put on that athletics event? Next oh. minute we've got Usain Bolt in Sydney. I reckon I had that much stress going on, like putting my life on the line to put this track and field meet on to help athletes and promote athletes. And at that time you supported me with supporting some Olympic athletes, remember? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it. The money side of things started getting a bit stressful, and money and financial stress can can wear anyone down. In particular, me at that stage, I was a bit, you know, I was pretty a bit of a rookie in that business world. I'd come from coaching sport to all of a sudden putting on this event where we're negotiating with um, heads of marketing of Gatorade in America, Usain Bolt's management in Jamaica, and plus other Olympic athletes, not just him. Anyway, the financial stress and staying awake till 2, 3 a.m. doing phone conferences at all different times around the world and all that stuff was getting to me. And i never forget it. You said, how much do you need? I've got your back. It won't. If, if something goes wrong, you won't lose. And i never forget that. Like, that was like, I don't know if you understood how much that meant, like even as a mate but i feel that that's how you guys are anyway as a family like when you decide i'm gonna i've got a mate i'm 100 percent behind him you mm. it's not just words it's it's actions too like what you did back then and we had a great time pertec got yeah. worldwide exposure usain bolts all over the place we did the pertec world champions charity ball another thing where you we should go there you do a lot of stuff for charity mm. but uh, i remember we did quite a bit for prostate cancer that that occasion mm. um but yeah you seem like 
you don't just say you've got each other's back. You actually genuinely do. Yeah. Because that happens in sport. People say they've got each other's back. Or they say we're one big family here at this club or whatever. But if it's not genuine, they're usually the teams that aren't winning the championship. You know, yeah. the, the ones holding the trophy up are usually living that way. And I, I feel that when I talk about anyone at Pertec. But I think too it's a it's a culture that we have um, as an organisation or as a family is giving people um, an opportunity, giving them a chance. Um, you you have a look at you know you're talking about Peter coming from New Zealand. Um, he had three months to survive. That's all the money. Then the money ran out. That's big risk, right? <laughs> big risk, big reward, or you know yeah, little yeah, risk, yeah. little reward. Um, but that's taking a punt on yourself and believing in yourself. Um, and I think when I see people like yourself, um, you know, you had a young family, you were risking a lot yeah, in yeah. your life at that time doing what you were doing. Yeah. And not that we were a safety net or anything like that because we were getting something for Yeah. The investment that we made definite but just but that feeling like i had other corporate partners at the time but nothing quite like the pertec one like it was and i guess that went from yeah we've got it's got to be win-win for both pertec needed to get some global exposure out of things but um underlying was this trust that was bit it's a bit hard to explain which should bring us to what about the pertec kiwi experience we had 2008 centenary test i'll tell the story to the listeners i'm working on the coaching staff with the new zealand team coming up for the uh, australian centenary test my great mate craig catterick was working with the aussies another good friend of pertec i know his wife listens that's why i'm giving him a shout out um anyway we were in the in the foyer having a team meeting staff meeting and i heard overheard the marketing guy say they didn't have a major sponsor and in this meeting you know there was wayne bennett steve kearney all the coaching staff were meant to be thinking just coaching which i was but then as soon as the meeting finished i went and grabbed my phone and i dialed your number glenn the kiwis don't have a sponsor and you said oh because i knew you're a kiwi and you ended up getting a great deal because we realized that the shirts the shirts were going to get printed in a week <laughs> So no one else was going to make an offer and you ended up making an offer. That was reasonable. It helped the team out for sure. It really did. But you ended up becoming part of the family. I remember the, f the end of that year, that World Cup, New Zealand won their first ever World Cup and there's that famous image of Nathan Kaler's holding up the trophy with Pertec across the jersey. I still love seeing that. But that was just an opportunity where I could have rang anyone else and they would have ummed and ahed and maybe I might have to think about this. And you just made a decision on the spot and backed yourself, we'll make this work. And it ended up pretty successful for Pertec, didn't it? And you're still with them now, the Kiwis. Yeah, I mean, those types of opportunities come along. And I think that also is the success of, of Pertec in general. You know, the way we've gone through, um, you know, the, the last 40 years is identifying an opportunity and making a decision to to do it and and being 
a family business and you know being able to to have the ear of 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 peter and and other executives within the uh within the uh, business here you can quite quickly make half a dozen phone calls and the decisions made we don't have to wait for the next board meeting for an official yeah. you know presentation and those opportunities can get lost because that was you needed to make a decision within a couple of days yes. if i remember yes and it's grown. There's a lot of proud Pertec people, franchise owners now in New Zealand who support the Kiwis, and sure. it's, they're all part of the family now, which is yeah. really good to see. I haven't had anything to do with them for the last ten years now, but I still love seeing Pertec on their jersey. Yeah. Oh so well, it's you know memories for yeah, you, yeah. definitely when you see that Pertec because you were obviously gave that opportunity um, and did something with it. Yeah. Um, and I mean. To you have a look. We we're very fortunate that they won the they won the uh, the World Cup. So obviously that enhances our investment. Yeah. Um. And and it just sort of ticks the box of that decision was a good decision. It was a good one. We did. I mean, we did the same when um, we first went into V8 supercars. Uh, we went with the Stone Brothers Racing. Um, yeah. Jason Bright was a young driver. You know, hadn't been tested before. Stone Brothers had faith in him. Yep. Came to Pertec. Pertec, do you want to be the naming right sponsor? Hey, okay, let's get into there. We go to Bathurst. Saturday, Jason Bite writes the car off. Right. Writes it off, like, yeah. big time. Yeah. Now, you can imagine the call I got from Peter <laughs> Saturday evening. Yeah. What the hell have you done? You know, like, yeah. so it was quite, quite, um, well, it wasn't funny at the time, but um, then the next day they worked all night, you know, fixing that car, repairing that car. Yeah. Ross Stone said to me, Glenn, we're not going to be in the lead in the beginning because we're starting at 15th or whatever it was going to be, mid-pack. Yep. And he said to me, but at the end, in the last 30 laps, we'll be near the front, right? And so he said, you're not going to get a lot of TV time because yeah. that's what, you know, you sponsor a car. You want to be in those top five cars because you get the TV time. And um, sure enough, 30 laps to go, bang, up pops the Pertec car, Stephen Richards was driving at the time as the co-driver and the last 30 laps was all Pertec and we won. Yeah. And, wow. you know, won Bathurst. So that, again, we took a punt. What year was that? Oh, you got me now. I'd have to, I'd have to research it. Uh, would have been, um, I'm saying, would have been 90s, early yeah, 90s right. maybe? Well, I'm seeing Pertec everywhere up? in the race car industry now. Like it's... It's a well-established brand. You see it, you see it on, um, yeah, all over Bathurst. The signage, you see it on the cars. You're doing stuff with Penske in the in the DJR US, Penske. You know, like yeah, it's it yep. seems like you're well entrenched in that uh, race car industry. Why did you choose to advertise through sport? Because you've you've done some pretty big sponsorships. You were within the NRL. You sponsored. A, you had a, your own stadium, Pertec Stadium. Yeah. You had you know, you've had. Actually, we'll go there as well. Like you've even got into club ownership. Um, but why the Pertec brand with sport? Why, why did you choose sport well, and not just advertise in the paper or when on you, news? Yeah, when you when you think of um, you know marketing and people say who who is your target market, and in our industry, you know, as it is today. Uh, males age 25 to 55 you know that you'll get all the statistics about that 
Um, we're predominantly male business, being an industrial hose company and, and things like that. And that is slowly changing because we have now women uh, owners of our, of our franchise units. Right. Um, there's technicians, I believe, you know, um, ladies now, and, and they're more in a mechanical role, which is fantastic. And so we also thought that we take from the community you know in our in our business every day so all of our franchise group we're um, selling goods and services and products to the to the market and we feel that we really should be a good corporate citizen and put something back in what yep. better way to put something back in into people's love of sport yes and yes. be that rugby league be it you know v8 supercars um you know whatever um, yeah. area we're in um, we think that's a, a good way of, of having our brand out there. And you didn't just splash it around in all sports. You made some very smart, savvy decisions and come up with some good opportunities. And I know you knocked back a lot of good ones. So the ones you knock back very selectively around, like it's, it's you're not just willy-nilly throwing your money around. No. You, it was very... Strategic. strategic. It's strategic. Yeah. It's we started off with um, the first sports sponsorship we we ever entered into, and this is in the uh, definitely in the eighties, was the Sydney Blues baseball oh, really? team, and they played at Parramatta Stadium you okay. know, back way back then. And when you think of it, was called the Pertec Sydney Blues. Yeah, and that was our f- very first foray into sport. And you've just said the Pertec Sydney Blues. I've realised that you always like the major sponsorship. Naming you right. were like yeah. Pertec Eels, Pertec Kiwis. Like it's, is that something very deliberate that you always wanted the naming rights? Yes, as as you're able to afford those opportunities. Yeah, that's the better one to to be on as a yeah. naming right. Yeah. Um, and I think you know every business would love to be the naming right sponsor. Yeah, um, we're on DJ uh, DJR and the Penske uh, group. There, we're not naming right sponsors. Right. But those organisations, the Penske Group, is yeah. is uh, <laughs> it's well, legendary. In it's itself legendary and one of the and most professional and professional outfits yeah, that you'll yeah. ever find. So you know, in in their arena and what they do, yeah, and um, it's great to be then part of that organisation. Yes, yes, right? yes. And success breeds success. You love your sport, mm-hmm. and I can see why you like your the way your business runs has some very similar characteristics of like talking to your father is like talking to Wayne Bennett. Like he talks with so much wisdom that I wish we should record, we had a recorder whenever we've sat with your father. Like, did you learn a lot of these business things from a bit of, like you were pretty handy as a junior athlete yourself or was it uh, more just what you learn in the workforce? Or like I know that you love your sport and you probably love it because of those qualities you see in either a leader or a coach or a captain or like, where's your love of sport come from? Let me guess, it was the All Blacks. Every Kiwi tells me it's the All Blacks. It the All growing Blacks. up in New Zealand, what <laughs> there, there was no other sport. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, telling my age now, but, you know, I was born in 66. Yeah. So you can imagine in the 70s, 
you know, you're playing sport. Rugby was really the only thing available to you and um, in, in New Zealand. And soccer was just sort of being introduced and it was a little bit foreign to people. Yeah. And you weren't tough enough if you if you um, yeah. you know if you had to play soccer, so you had to play rugby. Yeah. And you know it was in those days you were you were weighed, and you played you know um, obviously uh, it was pounds. Yeah. And back in those days, so you would uh, you'd weigh yourself, and I could always remember as kids you would be trying to fill up with pies and chips and everything like that because you just didn't want to be in the the lighter weight than all your <laughs> friends so you're trying to you're trying to be heavier be when bigger. the weigh-in came you know so well speaking of weight then you <laughs> i remember when we met we were losing a bit of weight with you you actually applied yourself with the discipline and commitment of of what we want out of any athlete and it kind of shows a bit of work ethic around I mean, even now, if I bump into your father, he tells me you get up at four o'clock and you're working. And you used to tell me the early bird catches the worm and <laughs> all that stuff. And mm. you used to come in that gym at Pertex Stadium at like five in the morning. You'd meet up with Craig Catterick for a couple of days a week. I'd meet you a couple of days a week. When you set your mind on something, you are committed and disciplined. Like, where did did that get drilled into you, or was it just from being around people like that? Because obviously your father was like that or i know you did a bit of martial arts that that helped with I a lot don't, of discipline or? yeah i don't i don't think you're it's very difficult to train someone with discipline i think you either have it or you don't have it um i don't know if that's a good thing to say but um you know you're you're born with it you know mm. you can see you know with my my children you could see at the age of of 5 and you know, three, who was organised and who wasn't organised, you know, the yeah, way right. they put their toys away, yeah. how they wanted their room to look, you know. So I think at an early age, you know if someone's very disciplined. Yeah, yeah. In, um, and discipline you could also turn into you strive for success because you mm. have to be disciplined to be successful. Yeah. So, you know, you will find people who are disciplined are normally the ones that come out on top well yeah of clear. their career you know yeah, of, of whatever, whatever they, they're doing whatever they're doing you yeah, know yeah. um and and that was that was part of it you know um i do when i put my mind to something i've got to see it through yeah and um and be the best i can yeah when you started with pertech you were only very young yourself mm-hmm. and then that role like so within this business have you done every job possible before you were ceo here in australia before you've moved over to America. Yeah. So you actually know the product better than anybody, right? Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't say better than anybody. I think the way, uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you come into a family business, um, you are going to be treated different, differently. And when I say treated differently, treated differently from your father because he wants to be tougher on you than anyone else because he wants to make sure that he's not fav- you know any favoritism uh, the workforce are looking for you to do that little bit extra because they expect that being yeah. the, the boss's son yeah um, but I think you 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 seep in under the door with the workforce you, you you're one of them you're part of them but you're um, still first in last to leave. 
that type of stuff. Yes. I know you did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's... Is that still the same? That's still the same. Even in your job now? You're Even still, in my job yeah, now. Yeah, really. Yeah, well, it's yeah. just... Because, again, it's leadership. Yeah. People who want to be led, they want direction, they want yep. to see their boss Yeah. in before them. They want to say goodnight to their boss as they're leaving. Yes. Because they have pride that their boss is working just as hard as they are. And do you still get around? I know I walked with you through your headquarters in Australia where we would walk through your offices or through your marketing department or even your warehouse and you get around, say hello, and you know everyone's name. Is that still the same? Have you gone that way in America? Sure. And how have they handled an Aussie coming oh. over and like obviously you kind of made some changes or it was it was quite funny the the warehouse manager when i first arrived um i would every day i'd go through the warehouse say hello to everybody everyone at their desk and everything like that and the warehouse manager came up to me he goes what are you doing in my warehouse right and i go oh what do you mean and he goes he goes you're not meant to be in the warehouse you know you're the owner of the business or yeah you know you're the big boss and I said, well, you better get used to it because I'll be here every day. <laughs> yeah, so you um, still do that every day. Every day wow. because, again, um, you've got to be accessible to your workforce. You've got to, you know, you've got to know them on a personal basis about their family, what drives them, what, what makes them want to succeed. Yeah. You've got to listen to them because a lot of people on the, let's call it the shop floor, the warehouse floor, they have great ideas, but they they're too afraid to, to put their hand up and express that idea. And and you have a look at a lot of the systems we have, a lot of the operational processes have come from our workforce. And so you've got to have that ability and letting them obviously bring those ideas to you. Yeah. Now, not everyone's a great idea, yeah. but they have to feel like they are contributing to the success of, of the organisation. Do you know what? This is this is coaching at any level, whatever it is. If you're leading an organisation and you you show you care about your staff, your playing roster, your, your working staff, and it's the same. Like the most successful coaches have players that love to work for their coach and love to play for them. And no matter what sport, what industry... Um, and you're doing that in, over there in America. I was just interested because I know you did that here, but there's a big cultural change over there. There, there must have been people scared when you turned up. You were going to make a lot of changes, and you did, didn't you? Did you make a lot of changes, or you've? What, yeah, like yes, how, I did. How did do you go firing someone here? This is oh. just <laughs> random topic. Like to the listeners out there, I don't know if many of you guys have fired someone. How do you go firing someone like this? This uh, must be... It's never, it's never, it's not a nice, you know, if you enjoy firing people, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong job. You shouldn't yeah. be a leader. Um, I think first you give people opportunity. You, you set the standard, you set the direction. Yep. Then you give them an opportunity to succeed in that. Yep. And if they don't, then you sit down with them and tell them why they don't are not succeeding or they don't have what it takes to be part of that that team yeah and 
and then that makes it a little bit easier because you know when you put your head on your pillow at night you've given them the opportunity to come along for the ride now and you end up making a decision for the company yes if, even though you cared about this person you cared about their life you cared about their families but in the end you have to make the best decision for your team right sure i i think you know i know my my father always always said that you might have punch-ups with you know when i say punch-ups you, you you have disagreements with 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 staff and things like that and and managers and and you you know unfortunately if someone has to leave as long as you can hold your head up and walk down the street and if they're passing by you can acknowledge them yes right they might say hey that's that bastard that sacked me yeah but at least they might say but i you know i deserved it or i felt that i wasn't the quite the right fit in that organization yes i don't want to be the person that's got to go hell there's hayden knowles i've got to run around the corner and hide and hide yeah. you know yeah. I, I think that's an important thing yes um to do i love this chat but i want to i just want to go to your own lifestyle and your own like you're a very successful person is there a routine like i've tried not to go we don't really need to people can look up the business of pertech if they want they can work out that it's a worldwide global yep. massive organization they can look into the products i don't need to bore people with that most people listening like learning off successful people like do you have a routine from morning like when you wake up what do you do how do you focus for the day how do you clear your mind at night like you are a bit of a workaholic your first day last to leave but how do you manage your own mindset and your own health i think um not that i've done it in the last six months but um you know what i do enjoy i, I get up early and i think you know when people say oh glenn you get up early i think i just don't need a lot of sleep so right. it's not that i'm setting my alarm to get up i wake up oh do you yeah so i I've very rarely do i set an alarm wait till i send you the podcast i'm going to do about the importance of sleep but anyway yeah so even even when alarm, i was a little you know how i was talking about yeah, um children you, young, you know yeah, and yeah. and my mother said to me she said glenn as a child i would never need a lot of sleep you know, at three, when you have afternoon naps, yeah. at f when I was four and five, yeah. she said you'd, you wouldn't go to bed, you'd climb out the window and go play. And she'd come in and think, Where, where's Glenn, you know, yeah. and I'd be, I'd be gone. Yeah. The neighbour would ring and say, Glenn's down the street, you know, like, yeah. but that was, I just didn't, I felt like I didn't need a lot of sleep. So Talk us through your day. What time do you wake up without an alarm? Uh, four o'clock. Wow. What's your first thing? First thing I do, I'll get up and um, I'll have a Barocca yeah. to keep that vitamin C <laughs> pumped into me. There's a free ad. There's a free, There's a free, free plug ad. for somebody. Um, no, so I, I'll sit there, have a glass of water and a Barocca and yeah. um, I will normally um, get my iPad out and just read the local news and, you know, just, just to relax a bit of time for myself. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'll have a coffee uh, put the the gym shorts on and um, I'll go to the gym by sort of 10 past five because it opens the guy gets there about 20 past five yeah and this is in the states yeah and I'll do a bit of a workout and um, they got a great steam room there and I love the steam room so yeah. sit there and 
act like I'm a jockey, losing yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I go home and, and, and jump in the pool and watch the sunrise, you know, and How I love watching good. the sunrise. Yeah, I, that's, that's the probably my most favourite part of the day is just getting your thoughts Mine together yeah. and just watching the sunrise. So I, I yeah. do that. Um, then, you know, shave, shower and, and off and to work. work. And the good thing about it, I'm probably a 25-minute, 30-minute drive from work. And I think that's important. Um, well, that's definitely important, it, yeah. it gives you a chance just to say, okay, these are the, these are the things I'm doing and I'm going to uh, get into today. Yeah. And reverse that. I love that 25, 30 minutes drive home because then yeah. you get to just clear your head before you, yeah. you, you get home. And are you capable now? I know there's been times in your life where you've obviously just work, 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 but are you capable of switching off and give your energy at home or is it still work, work, work when you get home? Yeah, I'm, um, if you ask, spoke to my wife, yes. she would say that I work, work, work. <laughs> Even when I get at home, I'm there but not there. You well, know, we're headspace, all kind of guilty of The it. headspace, she'll go, she'll, she'll talk to me. And she yeah. goes, you're not listening, are you? And I go, yeah, well, I'm listening, but yeah. I'm not taking in what she's saying. So, Well, we're all guilty um, of that. Yeah, but it's just, I think, you, you, your mind's always looking at opportunities or different ways to do things. And so you're constantly, you're constantly thinking. Yeah. But, you, you know, when we sit down for a meal and my wife's preparing the dinner and, you know, we have a glass of wine and, yeah. and, and you know, then I'm... I'm, I'm Relaxed and yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, into yeah. her day, and she tells me about her day. And so you haven't yeah. been doing this. Ex- I, mean, I know you used to do this exercise every day. Do we need to send Craig Catterick over to America to get this kick started again? I might have to give him a call. If I don't yeah. know if he listens to my podcast, but oh, okay. we might have to send him over. But yeah, well, but that was a health like that's a healthy way. Everyone's interested. What's your routine? Um, you get up early. Your first thing is hydration. Like that's a there's a scientific fact around that. You've okay. got the fir- You're the expert thing, in that. Yeah. Very first thing, um, you've got your ways that you clear your mind. You're starting your day with exercise, and then also you you're setting your intentions for the day on that little focus drive you have. Like you mm. you're actually operating like a a pro athlete. Like you're setting your day up, and then you do what you do you make your hundreds of millions during the day and that's why you're here as a guest because um you're at the top of your game (laughs) no so um yeah i'm just interested in in that interested in possibly maybe asking one last question before we go soccer ownership like you're a rugby man you're Mm -hmm. a race car major player in the race car industry you've sponsored stadiums before you've had rugby league seems to be your thing um but then all of a sudden you bought a soccer club and you now are uh, in that that world of uh sporting club ownerships which some people say is crazy to do but you did it you told me once about uh the process and the way what was that story where they had to do their homework on you and you went and you met with um who's the big boss you went oh, out in the boat Lowy. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, Frank Lowe. So yeah, Frank. talk us through. So you decided I'm going to buy into the West Sydney Wanderers. They were at that time packing out stadiums and really setting the world, putting soccer on the map, really, Western Sydney on the map. Uh, they, were Asian, they were actually after you bought them. They won the Asian Cup mm. or something. That's right. Yeah. But why did you get into 
sporting club ownership, not just sponsorship. And then they really did their homework on you. Tell us that story. Yeah, I think it was more um, they were looking for, it was a partnership. So um, Paul Lederer is is the chairman of the Wanderers. Um, uh, Jefferson Chang was also another um, shareholder in the business. Um, David Slade and and they needed a uh, another person um, to to round that out to four people. Yeah. And um, they didn't want any more than four people, so it was quite a strategic thing that they they needed that. And um, so I was approached by them if there was some interest, and I don't know if it was because we sponsored the stadium or or what it was in yep. in that aspect of it. Um, but they wanted to make sure that we were doing it as as owners we're doing it for the right reasons and why did we want to own a you know part ownership of a football club and again i think i go back to it's giving back to the community you know blacktown has two million residents in in the blacktown council catchment area which is i think it's like the fifth largest city in 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 australia and 186 nationalities and you can just go on and on and on and we our business is in blacktown so it's out west um it's been out west for the 40 years and it's just being part of this uh, football club it's also working in the community and you know football's a passion of many people out this way and i think now you know the western sydney wanderers as owners our academy that we have no cost so if if you're identified as an up-and-coming young star right normally you'd be paying three and a half four thousand dollars to be you know and you guys don't charge we don't charge because we think there's a lot of people out there that parents can't afford that sort of money but their son or their daughter are up-and-coming football stars oh brilliant and western sydney has produced so many global football stars soccer stars correct and yeah I, I have been watching from afar i drive past the the new facility you've built looks like you've spent tens of millions out there at uh blacktown i did i see nine fields are being built and yeah nine new fields. sporting complex new gyms new office headquarters i saw sure. a stage one opening only yeah. recently yeah is uh, that, that why you're back in australia by the way right uh, now? one of the one of the reasons i yeah. thought i would you know make this trip and also um, be able to attend that and we need paul letterer on here he's an impressive yeah, operator he, he is yeah. he is um and if you're listening paul <laughs> i don't know if you're one of my listeners if you are you're welcome anytime and i think you um you have a look at what we've created out there is as a player or an academy star or in the women's league you have one place to go they have breakfast there yeah they train there we've got big glass auditorium so when the i don't know what you guys call it you know if you're in the f troop or you're if you're um yeah um, when you're working you're injured when you're when you're injured when you're injured yeah and that and the team's out on the field doing drills and everything you're still feeling part of the yeah. that team environment because you you know you've got a, a sore ankle you know you've got you've done something to your ankle and you're doing something rehab and yeah, and those yeah, things yeah. but you're still watching where in the past you were in another gym or you were yeah. somewhere else do and you and your father ever sit back and pinch yourself or well, let's say you're sitting in the box Pack stadium, 
you're watching the Asian Cup, your team's playing, do you ever go, wow, we sold the family home in New Zealand, we took a punt, we bought a little warehouse, we grew up to a global company, we're now buying sporting teams, and here we are sitting having a beer watching a game with a stadium cheering for our team. Do you ever pinch yourself? Or um, is it when you're oh, living in that world, you don't? It's just what you do. I mean, I mean you know? yes. Have we exceeded our expectations? Or, you know, I'll speak on behalf of my father. Has Peter exceeded his expectations when he came to Australia? Yes, he has. Yeah. Definitely. But then once you're... It's, it's like a... I would say it's like a beast. You've just got to keep feeding it. Yeah. Like you can't stop now. You've got to yeah, just right. keep. But well, that's what can success. we buy next? Success I'll buy something success. With you. What can we buy? I don't know how much I can tip in, but what can we do next? Because <laughs> your father, I think he, he has an interest in horse racing. Um, let's not forget the support of your mother and also your wife, Lisa, to put up with and to be on this journey. Not put up with, but be a part of it. Your mum did so many good things. And did she push you guys towards the charity stuff? Because your charity stuff that the Duncan family's off the yeah. charts. Like People don't know. Like I'm, I'm talking to listeners here about business. But your father, we have, there's the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Ward at St. Vincent's Hospital. That's mm -hmm. right. There's yeah. a whole ward where he funds researchers to help neuroscience there's yeah. there's the prostate cancer foundation that yeah. you've raised hundreds i reckon millions you, you might have a figure for me but i've seen you raise hundreds of thousands every year for prostate cancer like where did this generosity come from because there's soft sides to the duncans is that is that the the female side or um no i mean yeah my mother was always a, a giving a giving person um you know everyone she met and things she would always um, she would always be, you know, interested in that person. Um, oh, yes. You know what they did, encouragement. Yeah. Um, she always was like that. Also, I think when we're talking about the Peter Duncan um, Neurological Science Ward, you yeah. know, and um, research centre there, I know my mother said she wanted to be giving uh, funding to something that helped all people from all walks of life so obviously when you're just giving to the prostate cancer foundation that's yeah. men yes, yes and so val said no i want to be able to say that everyone's going to have an opportunity to reap the rewards of the um, the research and development of, and things and when you're talking neurological you're talking parkinson's disease hiv you're talking yeah, so um, many things. So many yeah. different things that men, women, um, young, old, everyone has the opportunity to to benefit from that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking. You know, you don't have to give me figures, but we're talking millions of dollars. You guys put in for for really, you don't do it for any recognition. I mean, I'm I'm talking about it here, but I don't think Peter would care if, if people knew or not. It's just what he's wanted to yeah, do. Well it's, it, yeah, well, we're very, um, I suppose, private people. And, he's, and, yes, and he's very, very private very private, humble. So, yes, yeah. yeah. So um, it's just the way, the, way, the way he is yeah. in that aspect. Yeah. And, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, my mother pushing. Um, if, if Val hadn't supported Peter in his desire to come to Australia back in 79, December 79... He would have still been in New Zealand. Yeah. But the support of her 
and saying, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and she took the gamble with him. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And that's, you know, behind every good man's a good woman. And, yes. And, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to say those words now, but it's definitely, let's put it in partner, you know, um, behind every good partner, you know, successful yeah. partner's a good partner. A good partner, yeah. Um, because you need that at home. You know, I yeah. have that with my wife. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to support the the uh, the direction you're going and and be part of it. Okay, last question. I'm uh, let's say I'm sitting here as a 18 year old person trying to maybe make it in the whatever world, maybe entrepreneurial world, business world, sporting world, and you're there full of wisdom like you are. Give me one piece of gold one piece of glenn duncan advice if you could give me one bit of advice to make it in this world what is it i think be truthful to yourself and to others and honesty is a big part treat others like you'd like to be treated those sorts of things are very important because your reputations that's all you have you can have all the money in the world, all the assets in the world, but your reputation is all you've got. That's all, you, all you're going to leave with. And the respect that you can get from people um, with those three or four things, I think, are very important. And, you know, it takes a lifetime to build reputation, right? But you can switch that off in one foul swoop and your reputation's trashed so you know you've just got to stay that line and 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 i think just be true to yourself and be true to others well mate that's that is um that final word be true to others you've been really true to me i value so much our mateship our friendship and the guidance you've given me um but now i'm pumped to know that these listeners can get a little bit of glenn duncan wisdom there uh, thanks again. We should set a mission to get your father on one day. Sure. And uh, I think we might hunt Steve Dutton, the Pertech CEO in Australia. Yeah. Uh, he's He's got some great wisdom. I think we might hunt him down. And who knows, we'll get to a soccer game, we'll hunt down some of the, the football owners that you, uh, you're in partnership with. But thanks so much, mate. Honestly, like, I haven't told you enough. I get the chance to now. Thanks for everything you do for me. But now you're part of the team. Fantastic. The podcast team. There you go. This might take me all over America. Like you're a global. Like I'm only a small podcaster oh. here in Australia. We're going global now. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Glenn. Okay, awesome, no problem. Mate. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of GTE with Hayden Knowles. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review to help grow the team.